You're about to listen to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. In this episode, you will hear my conversation with my friend Alan Bergman. Alan will tell us a little bit about his career transformation and also about his love of kayaking. Two great stories in one. So, with that, let's get started. This is your host, Mediocre Mitch, and welcome to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast Season 2, Episode 4. Before I get into this week's podcast, I want to share some incredibly exciting news, at least to me. Last week, my guest was a friend named Tim Stansel, who shared his amazing weight loss story with us. Let me just say, that episode of the Meet Mediocrity podcast completely blew away all of our other podcast episodes in terms of first week listeners. I would love to take all the credit for it since I do have a number of reasons to believe that the Meet Mediocrity podcast is really catching on. But I need to give credit to Tim as well. His amazing story was brave and inspirational and I got a lot of comments from listeners about Tim's story and its impact on them. So thanks again, Tim, for that great conversation on last week's podcast episode. Now, personally, I believe this week's conversation is equally compelling. Alan Bergman is someone who I've known and have considered to be a friend of mine for over 20 years. I remember when Alan first started kayaking, and I thought, eh, it's just going to be a fad. Well, here we are, a long time, many years later, and Alan is a highly accomplished sea kayaker. More about sea kayaking when we speak to Alan. But kayaking is an amazing form of exercise. And we, call it, we talk about sea kayaking because if you're not going in like white water rapids and you're on calm water, that's sea kayaking. And it's an amazing form of exercise that feeds into our overall wellness because it's not just about the physical movement, but there is this peace and tranquility that you find when you're on the water in a kayak. I speak of this firsthand. So Magnificent Meredith, my wife, and I own two kayaks. And I have to be honest, we don't get out nearly as often as we should, like maybe once or twice a year. But it's always a great day when we get our kayaks in the water. The other amazing thing about Alan is he has begun a new chapter in his working career. And I really admire him because he's found a way to utilize his love of journalism, writing, and photography to help people tell their stories and the stories of people they love through personal biographies and memoirs. Alan's website, Life Stories Preserved, Life Stories Preserved, one word, dot net, Life Stories Preserved dot net, is your first stop to having Alan work with you to create that biography. So this conversation covers a lot of ground. 
a very interesting new career adventure and some great stories and information about kayaking. At this point, you're probably saying to yourself, it sure sounds great, mediocre Mitch, so shut up and get to the conversation. <laughs> and you'd be right. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Alan Bergman. So Alan, thanks for being with me today. It's my pleasure. I'm thrilled to be part of season two of, uh, of your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. You, you uh, are officially season two, episode four. And uh, we've been publicizing you all week. I've been super excited about this conversation because, frankly, there are two broad subjects. <clears throat> excuse me. There are two broad subjects I want to cover with you, both of which are fascinating, neither of which are actually directly related to one another. Um, one is the fact that you are in, a, you've started a new business, which I'm incredibly fascinated by. And the second is we, we're going to talk about kayaking because you're, you're a kayaker and I'm a, um, amateur mediocre kayaker. So <laughs> we'll, <laughs> okay, cover, we'll, cover right both, we'll cover both okay. of them, but, um, Sounds good. Let, let's start with the business stuff first. So you have started a new business. Um, coming on the heels of, of a long career um, in a different business or a related business. So why don't you tell us about it? And I've got some questions for you once you give me the overview. Sure. Um, so, Mitch, I spent the past 40 years, as in four decades, in the commercial printing business. And uh, this was a family business that was started by Grandpa Max in 1922. <laughs> and uh, I was third generation. And in 2018, in our 96th year, my cousin, who was my partner, decided that it was time for him to retire, and I didn't want to go on running the business without him. So at the end of 2018, we sold the business, and I've taken an employment contract uh, with our buyer. Mm -hmm. um, and I joined the family business in 1981. I said to my father, you know, do you mind if I work with you? For a short amount of time, while I looked for another job, I was looking for a job in writing, actually. Uh, oh, in writing, and, okay. And next thing I knew, uh, my dad was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and he was gone. And I ended up spending forty years with the business. So, yeah, you know, just just an innocent. Can I stay with you for a few months while I look for a job? And 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 forty years later, you were still there. Exactly. So it was a far longer tenure than I had anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> and, by the, and by the way, I had a Grandpa Max too. So uh, oh, we've so got funny. that in common as well. So, uh, okay. So funny. 40 years in commercial printing. Where, where, and, and so where, what happened then? So, um, you know, through, the, through that time period, I had been writing on the side, um, which is something I've always enjoyed. I was a journalism major in college, journalism slash communications. I was the editor of our university's newspaper, which was published twice weekly, which was really where I spent far more time than in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been writing for Medium, which is an online publication. I write a kayaking blog, um, which uh, is for the largest uh, kayaking outfitter in New England. Or in New England. Uh, it's called Wild uh, Mountains, uh, Wild Meadow. Paddlesports.com. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna get that from you and put that in the description because there are gonna be kayakers listening to this who are gonna want to read your blog. So okay, sure. you'll right. get me so that information. About, yep. Right. So there are about 20 blog, there are about 20 blog posts 
on the Wild Meadow um, website right now. So I've been writing through the years. I've always enjoyed it. And uh, I uh, also found that through the years, there were a lot of family stories that I heard bits and pieces about, but I was no longer able to capture because those relatives who knew those stories were no longer with us. Um, and for example, my dad, who was stationed uh, in the Pacific during World War II, he was in a number of battles. Um, his ship went for days and days without food. They were struck by kamikazes. So I just knew those little, little bits and pieces, but I never really interviewed him. I never really asked him about what it was like on a day-to-day existence um, under those conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a great-grandmother, Fanny, who I knew, who got divorced in 1905. Now, who got divorced in 1905? It was right. scandalous. Yes, um, very it, taboo. Right. So I did a little bit of research, couldn't find the story, and there were no longer any relatives uh, alive who knew the story. Um, and, you know, how radical was that? Her daughter, my grandmother, had her marriage annulled in 1924. So what was that about? So anyway, there were all these family stories that I just knew so little about, but I was so fascinated by. And this kind of pushed me towards the biography business, so the biography industry. Um, So at the beginning of this year, I started um, Life Stories Preserved for the purpose of writing people's life stories and preserving that family history that may otherwise have been lost. So, so, so you're, so that's, so that's interesting. So, I mean, I looked at your website, I've spoken to you a little bit about this. So you can be engaged by say a family to speak with, you know, what, you know, maybe it's the grandparents, maybe it's, you know, the parents of an adult, of an adult child um, and kind of get those stories. Now, when you get those stories, um, does it become more of a book or more of a picture album or more of a video album? What, what is the end result? Okay, great question. So these are definitely books. They're hardcover, laminated, case-bound, beautiful books. And the books are typically about 75% copy text and 25% or so photos Images, images may be an immigration document, uh, something like that, perhaps. Um, and, the, and the photos appear at the end of each chapter to complement the copy, the text within that chapter. Um, and some people use these more as a forum for uh, saving their family history, passing it on to their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. Uh, some people just use it um, really just to tell their own unusual stories, perhaps an unusual childhood, perhaps an unusual career. Um, So the books have been used for different purposes. Um, The last one we did, which was uh, for a woman who just turned 90, who lives in in my town, um, she actually ordered 150 copies, individually gift-wrapped each one, and sent them out to three countries in eight different states. So, Oh, wow. um, So she really, so that, so she didn't just create, you know, five copies for the family, she did a little bit of a distribution. Right, right. And when I had asked her during the interviewing process, and the interviewing is done, by the way, online, um, which is, you know, obviously the safest way to proceed in this COVID environment. Um, 
during during the interview process, I, I said to her, how many copies do you want for your family and friends? 10, 20? And the response was 150. So I printed 150 copies for her and uh, they have traveled extensively. <laughs> But this is so, so let, let's, so take me through this process a little bit, Alan. So um, you get engaged. There are obviously more than one person. I assume there's more than one person to interview. There are vi- pictures to collect. There's stories to write. There's copy to edit and, and revise. How long does this process take? So um, start to finish, I've been averaging maybe about eight weeks per book. Um, some books have been just a single interview, a single party, single person. The one I just mentioned for the 90 year old woman, I also interviewed her two sons. I interviewed two or three of her friends and, and of course, well, with, with her permission, her say so. Um, so it could be one subject. It could be multiple subjects and the stories can be told chronologically. That is, you know, from birth to present day, or they could be told from a significant turning point in the person's life, graduating from college, getting divorced, whatever it may be, and then go from that turning point backwards and forwards. Uh, more often than not, the stories are told chronologically, but they certainly do not have to be. So um, this is this is great. So lifestoriespreserved.com, is that the website? Uh, lifestoriespreserved.net. Dot net. Okay. Life stories preserved and then preserved is past tense. Life stories preserved dot net. Okay. Well, I'm going to also leave that, that website in the comments to this, this podcast as well, because um, Alan, I mean, look, I don't know whether there is an industry for this, but I mean, is there an industry for this? Or, <laughs> I mean, I assume there are biography writers, but this is more personal biographies, not something that's going to go on Amazon. I mean, unless you wanted to, um, but- is there a business for this? Or did you just make it up? So there are different uh, shapes and forms of this. Um, and, and as you just said, these are not going on Amazon. These are not for sale. These are biographies and life stories and memoirs that are for personal use only. And by the way, I just mentioned memoirs. Memoirs are more of a snapshot of a person's life. Again, it may just be their career. It may just be their childhood. Um, it may just be about their retirement. So the memoir is a shorter version of the life story. Um, and that's another product that I'm offering. Um, is there an industry out there? Um, so, you know, again, there are, there are different variations of this, but when I tell people about my business, when I do my elevator pitch, the first response I always get is, Oh, I wish I had captured so-and-so story. Oh, I wish you would interview my mother who had a fascinating life. So, you know, so the so a lot of people realize that after the fact that they wish they had done these interviews and captured these stories. But unfortunately, like in, in my case, many times it's just too late. Well, Alan, I'm not going to get into details, but, you know, when you told me that you were starting this business, there's one person close to me who I lost uh, recently who, you know, we can still capture her story and have it for generations. And I'm, I, this has not left my cross since you mentioned it to me. So I'm sure I'm not the only person who's not just thinking about stories they've lost, but stories that they can still preserve and don't want to, and don't want to lose them. So this is great. Right. Right. And, you know, part of this too is, you know, I grew up in the 1960s. I'm dating myself. I want my two sons who are young adults 
to know what it was like growing up in the 1960s, what, yep. what the what the mood was like from, you know, the tumult of the Vietnam War to the charmed pleasures of having milk and orange juice delivered to our front door by the milkman three times a week. <laughs> so, I mean, so, you know, uh, again, I, I just for myself, even I want my children to realize what my life was like. Um, so. On the side, when I have time, I'm actually doing my own, my own, my own story as well. I was going to say, I was going to ask you about that. You don't want to be the shoemaker whose kids go shoeless. Exactly. <laughs> well put. Okay, good. So let's shift gears, Alan, because um, we're going to move from uh, life stories preserved to um, kayaking, and it's okay. interesting, Alan. So you and I know each other from town. Um, I know you as the kayaking guy. Um, I know me as the guy who has a couple of kayaks and uses them once a year. Um, so you're, you're my go-to kayaking resource. But, um, you know, this is a health and wellness um, podcast. And kayaking is an incredible form of exercise. Um, but kayaking can mean a lot of different things. Like I had a, a young cousin who kayaked and he was throwing himself down rapid rivers. You don't do that. So can we start by just an introduction to kayaking, the different okay, types so, of kayaking, you know, what, what are we talking about here? Okay. So um, before I, I, I address that and answer that question, Mitch, I'm just going to talk a little bit about how I got into it myself. Sure. You know, you, you and I live in the same town, as you mentioned. And it's a town that's surrounded on three sides by water. Correct. We have um, Manhasset Bay to our west. We have Hempstead Harbor to our east. And we have Long Island Sound proper to our north. And one day I said to my wife, you know, we live on this peninsula surrounded by these beautiful bodies of water. Yet we don't take advantage of them. And I looked at sailing as too much work. And, and, <laughs> that's how um, I look at sailing. <laughs> okay, it's great for those who like it. Um, yep. And I look at I look at motorboating um, as akin to driving your car around. It's not great for the environment. Yep. And I said to my wife, I want to try kayaking. And this was some seventeen or eighteen years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm very happy to say that she also enjoys it as much as I do. So it's something that we do together. Um, yep. And uh, so we've been doing this for close to two decades now. Um, just to get back to your, to your question about different types of kayaking, um, as you said, there are, there are numerous types, uh, including kayak fishing, uh, right. White water, right. White water kayaking, um, which gets the heartbeat really going, um, if you're in the right kind of rapids, um, there's flat water kayaking, um, or sea kayaking, which is what we do. It's called sea kayaking. Okay. There's, there's ocean kayaking. Um, so there, there are many types, and there are many types of kayaks. And um, the kayaks that we use are called touring kayaks. Mm-hmm. And we belong to a local club that I, I was one of the founders of uh, about 15 years ago. And we, in our club, uh, which is not for beginners, by the way, it's for experienced kayakers, we have very strict regulations and parameters in terms of what type of kayak is allowed to participate in our paddles, um, in terms of the length, in terms of the construction. Um, so there are different kayaks for, for different types of kayaking. And if you were to look at Craigslist, which has always hundreds of kayaks for sale, many of those kayaks are for sale because people went out and bought the first kayak, the wrong kayak. Um, mm. They'll go to 
to go to Dick's Sporting Goods and say, oh, this is only $500. Buy it, try it twice, and find out that it's totally inappropriate for the type of kayaking that they want to do. So, so, um, so let's stick to the, the sea kayaking because that's what you do. That's what, but that's what I do on occasion. Right. So right. How, do you, how do you find um, the right first kayak? Okay, really good question. Um, a combination of factors, but kind of like purchasing a car, um, I would advise someone who's seriously interested in buying a kayak for sea kayaking to test drive one. And there are, for example, on Long Island, there are several kayaking outfitters along the South Shore, um, one in Island Park, one in Amityville, where you can actually go in and after they speak with you for a few minutes, they'll put you in a, a couple of different types of kayaks to try out on the water. And it's a good way to find out what you're comfortable in, what seems like a good fit. Um, so test driving is important. There are also mm -hmm. kayak rental places where you can rent kayak and see if it is something that you're comfortable in or not. Um, but people should also do research online in terms of what length kayak, whether or not they buy a kayak that has a rudder or a skeg. A skeg is kind of just like a, a rudder that doesn't turn, uh, drops out of the boat. Um, there, there are just so many parameters. Um, but you know, first and foremost, once you're ready to make that purchase, we would strongly recommend, uh, I would strongly recommend going to a kayak outfitter and, and taking a few out on the water. So uh, if you're, so, um, so let's just take this one step further out of curiosity. So, um, I know uh, I know very little. What I do know is that um, the longer the kayak, usually the easier it is to keep straight. <laughs> right. <laughs> that so I keep, know. Keeping, right. Keeping straight is what we call tracking. That's known as tracking. And, and what you said is absolutely correct. But there are still, you can still buy a kayak that's too long for you. Mm. Um, and also you need a kayak that you can physically handle outside of the water. In other words, can you lift it? Can you move it from one location to another? Um, and for for myself and, and my wife and members of our clubs, we do what's called car topping. Mm -hmm. We have racks on top of our car. Every weekend, we're at a different destination. Every weekend from May until beginning of November, we're at a different destination to go paddling because we're able to do car topping. Um, if our kayak was too long or too heavy, we're not getting it on top of the car. Um, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So that that's part of the equation. It's part of the purchase. Uh, research is, is the right length that's a, a good a good issue that you brought up um and, it, and besides the kayaking that we do uh, every weekend with our club a uh, number of us also go out in town every wednesday evening and for evening paddles we have certain equipment that uh is appropriate for nighttime paddling um like lights that, right we have deck lights we all have a deck light um some of us also wear a headlamp. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. we try to have some visibility out there at least. But every Wednesday night, we're out there and we typically paddle into the sound, facing the city for the sunset. And it's just, it's just magnificent. It's just beautiful. So um, this is this is amazing. And so I posted on on my Facebook page that Meredith and I went kayaking for the first time in over a year a couple of weeks ago and the first thing the first comment on my post was your wife 
saying, I'm glad you were wearing your life preserver. So I assume, <laughs> I assume there's some safety equipment uh, involved as well. Like, and it's not just a life preserver, right? So talk about safe kayaking okay. at, at the right. sea okay. kayaking level. So, so I know it'd okay. be different if you're in the rapids or something. Okay. That's so important. So first of all, in our club, I'm going to go refer to our club again. We don't want to allow anybody to go out with us unless they're wearing a PFD. A PFD stands for personal flotation device as opposed to a PDF. <laughs> <laughs> a PFD, um, also known as a life preserver. And there's a certain class or category of PFD that's required. Um, we also, many of us also carry what's called a bilge pump. And that's in case we get our cockpit gets flooded for some reason. We can pump the water out. We carry what's called a paddle float. A paddle float is something that we, again, if we happen to capsize the paddle float, we inflate, we put the end of our paddle into it, and we use it um, to kind of help ourselves back into the boat, to right the boat and help ourselves back into the boat. Um, we, um, some people carry foghorns. Um, we always carry duct tape. And by the re- way, the reason we carry duct tape is my wife and I and many other of our fellow paddlers have fiberglass paddles. <laughs> and if you happen to paddle into a boulder or something like that, that kayak is going to quickly crumble. So we carry duct tape for emergencies. Um, wow. We, we carry we carry a lot of equipment. Uh, some people carry air horns. We all have whistles. We all have marine band radios. Um, and, and again, in, in our way of thinking, there's no such thing as too much safety equipment. Um, some people carry a tow rope in case someone has a health issue on the water and needs to be towed. Um, so safety equipment is paramount. But of all the items I mentioned, nothing is more important than that PFD, the personal flotation device. And it's not something that you can put on once you fall into the water. It floats to the top. It's nearly impossible putting it on in the water. So it's something you need to be it needs to be in place ugly fit on you at the time that you uh, leave the land, leave the shore. You know, you know, generally speaking, kayaking, at least sea, sea kayaking, like we're describing, looks generally safe. But I have to tell you, Alan, so when Meredith and I were out a couple of weeks ago, you know, these boats, they're not, they're not, they can be careless. You know, you've got someone out on a boat who pulling a water skier or a tuber. They're looking back at their kid on the tube and, you know, it doesn't take long for them to come right up on a kayak. So, I mean, you really do have to take all these precautions, I think, because we've heard stories. I've read stories in the newspaper about you know casual kayakers not not being properly prepared from a safety perspective and they're they're seriously injured or killed so that's an important point mitch and uh, in fact this past week there was a rescue on the nissaquag river in suffolk county the smithtown police had a rescue a few people who just didn't pay attention to tide conditions and needed to be rescued the actor russell crowe had to be rescued here in 2012, I think it was either off of Huntington or off of Oyster Bay, he went out not knowing what he was doing, not having the proper equipment, and the Suffolk County Marine Unit ended up rescuing Russell Crowe. So, <laughs> um, and, and in terms of things happening, uh, we were kayaking on a river um, in Costa Rica at the beginning of this year, my wife and I, as a river that we had never been on before, had some rapids. 
And she was caught in what's called a strainer. A strainer, in, in this case, there was a down tree branch, a huge part of a tree that her kayak got stuck in. Current was coming up strong behind her. She couldn't paddle backwards, and she ended up losing her paddle. Oh, for um, sake. Now, she's been doing this for almost 20 years, and this occurred. Um, so things do happen. Uh, long story short, everything ended up fine in this case. Uh, and um, I caught her paddle downstream, and our guide was able to paddle up against the current and free her from the strainer. Wow. Uh, but things do happen. And, um, you know, I, I would strongly recommend, again, going to YouTube or something similar uh, just to look at safety videos. Um, and, and here on Long Island, uh, a lot of our paddling is very, very tide dependent. Right. And you, so you need to keep, you need to keep an eye on tide charts too. Uh, we've heard often of people going out and then not being able to return to their, uh, their point of, uh, of, of destination uh, where they started. Yeah. From, <laughs> thank you. From where they started. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they, they literally ran out of water. Right. So, the, so if you're kayaking on Long Island, uh, attention needs to be paid to tide charts also. So, so what happened when you started 18 years ago? You went on a random kayak uh, journey and you, you fell in love with it? Right. We, we did some rentals. And what we did, as many, many, as most people do, we started out with plastic kayaks. Yep. Um, we are now each on our third kayak. Um, and what happens is you kind of got to grow each one. We found that the plastic kayaks, though it's very durable and strong, um, Heavy didn't get it, didn't get ran heavy, didn't give us the flexibility or the nimbleness in the water that we were seeking. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and as I had mentioned earlier, now we're both uh paddling fiberglass boats, mm -hmm. which are far more expensive but a lot more fun to paddle as well. And that's good to know because mine are big, heavy plastic ones that um I feel safe in and I feel right. that they're durable. But you're right, there's probably it's probably as clunky as riding a big old aluminum bike versus a a you know poly uh, or a carbon fiber bike. So I, I get good analogy. I right. get the weight issue. Um, mm -hmm. It also sounds like you've been on some amazing trips. So can you tell me? I, I bet you there's more than one, but 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 can you pick your most um, enjoyable kayak trip? So my my all time favorite. Let me think. All right, July sixteenth, two thousand seventeen. Oh yeah, okay. You hadn't <laughs> thought about that one. Okay, go you ahead. remember that? Yeah, you remember that day. So what that was? That was actually a circumnavigation around Manhattan Island. Uh, it's kind of like a marathon on the water, yeah. and there were one one hundred fifty kayakers uh, here from around the world. You had to apply and be accepted. Mm -hmm. And um, we were in the water. We got into the water at six a.m. on the Hudson River in northern Manhattan, and we came out of the water at six p.m. 30 miles later. Um, wow. And it was just so exciting and so exhilarating. Um, this is an annual event. It was actually canceled this year because of COVID. Right. It was canceled last year because coincidentally it was the hottest weekend of the year. I don't know if you recall that. I weekend. do recall it because the right. New York then because the New York City Olympic length triathlon was canceled last year because of the heat as well. And it was just about right. the same time. Right, right. So this is probably the same weekend or so. Yep. And the New York, City, New York City Department of Health asked the organizers to cancel the event last weekend. And again, people had arrived from all over the world, and they went back 
to their home countries without having participated, <laughs> unfortunately. So awesome. but, but it was just such a, such an exciting uh, uh, event, and uh, I'm looking forward to next year's. Um, but uh, another really really enjoyable paddle, um, which we've done a few times now, is parts of the Erie Canal. Mm. And what what makes the Erie Canal so cool is number one, you're going through the locks which the locks are an engineering wonder. It's just absolutely fascinating how they work. And you saw and them up of, and you saw them right up close and personal. Yes. You're sitting right in there in the lock and uh, you feel these giant turbine engines underneath you and you're kind of holding on to ropes along the walls of the lock. You're kind of holding on to dear life. First time you do it, it's very intimidating. So we've done that a number of times. And what's very, very cool about paddling on the Erie Canal is that the wildlife that you see, including American bald eagles and great blue herons, the wildlife is just it's just beautiful. It's just uh, it's just so exhilarating, so exciting, so wonderful seeing what's out there. Um, so uh, we've done that a number of times, and we also love going in the Hudson River uh, further north, like in Putnam County and Dutchess mm-hmm. County, what's called the Hudson Highlands. Yep. Again, it's a beautiful, beautiful area to paddle. It's a beautiful area for cycling as well. So I can completely sure. relate right. to that. Um, so Alan, how often do you get out? So, you know, again, I'm out at least once uh, every weekend, usually every Wednesday night, as I had previously mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then I try to, if possible, I try to get one more paddle beyond that. And we have friends uh, who paddle 12 months a year. They wear a, uh, a wetsuit or a dry suit in the winter months. That's not for us. We usually end up at the beginning of November. Okay. Um, and, and it's important too that people understand that if the air temperature is 70, but the water temperature is 50, those are dangerous conditions. Um, you have right. to dress, right. You, you must dress for immersion. You have to address, you, you have to dress yourself with the thought that you may be going over. Um, and if the temperature, if the water temperature is 50, you're going to be getting hypothermia pretty quickly. That's right. So, so, so what you end up doing is you dress for immersion, you sweat your tushy off and you don't get immersed, but you better safe than sorry. That's absolutely accurate. Well put. <laughs> Um, so last thing, Alan, um, on the kayaking thing. So there are plenty of listeners here who've thought about kayaking and haven't, some of them are from New York. Some of them are from all around the world. So if you wanted to get in the water the first time, you know, what would your recommendation be? So, uh, I would definitely recommend water that's as flat as possible. (laughs) Usually that means a lake or a large pond. when we take people out, once in a while we'll take a friend out who has no paddling experience. We take them in water that they can stand in, um, water that's typically four feet, maybe five feet uh, deep, just in case they go over, you know, that they know that they'll be in water that's not over their heads. But, you know, again, most importantly, I would start in flat water, um, water that has a dearth of motorboat traffic, uh, of jet ski traffic. Um, a lot of large sailboats can be problematic because they have vision issues in terms of seeing people at water level. Yep. So you want to you want to find the flattest water with the least amount of marine traffic as a as a place to kind of start out. And and renting a kayak that's of sufficient length so you can kind of easily track 
sounds like the right. other thing. Right. So, you know, on Long Island, um, two great rental places. Uh, and, and again, I know not all of your listeners are on Long Island, but there's Empire Kayaks, which is an island park on the mm-hmm. South Shore. And there's a place called the Dinghy Shop, which is in Amityville in Suffolk County. And they both have a slew of rentals. And, and again, um, they'll make recommendations to you based on your height and your weight and your level of experience. They'll uh, rent kayaks to you that are most appropriate for your particular profile. And when in doubt, when in doubt, and, and if you're not on Long Island, just just kind of Google kayak rentals, see kayaking, and you'll find your, your local options. Right. And, and again, um, with sea kayaks, you're actually sitting in a cockpit. We, we didn't really talk about this. Uh, another popular type of kayaks are called sit-on-tops. Or I've ocean seen kayaks. those. I'm, I'm convinced I would not be able to balance on them, but I know people use those. Right. And those are more commonly used for kayak fishing also. Um, some even have pedals so that you're, you're kayaking totally hand-free. Mm. You can use your hands for fishing or whatever. Um, but the type of kayaking that the type of kayaks that are used for sea kayaking are exclusively kayaks that uh, have cockpits, and those are usually referred to as touring kayaks. Gotcha. So good. Touring kayaks, sea kayaking, kayak rentals, get those in your search engine. No matter where right. you are, so you can get in, in some flat water to get started. That That's great. Yes. 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 So, Alan, first of all, I'm going to say this publicly. Thank you to my wife, Meredith, because she's sitting there and said to me, this is just two weeks ago. She says, get your friend, Alan, the kayaker on the podcast. He'll be a great interview. And she was right. (laughs) I'm I'm admitting that publicly. The woman behind the man. I can relate. (laughs) Um, I just want to say thank you again, Alan. Two really great, these are great subjects. The whole um, subject of kayaking, you know that I'm really fascinated in. And Life Stories Preserved is something we're going to continue our discussion on offline. Great. That sounds wonderful. I, I enjoyed being with you today, Mitch. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Alan. Take care. That was really two very loaded conversations in one. Alan's new business that can be found on his website, lifestoriespreserved.net, really struck home with me. As my regular listeners know, we, I, we, my family and I, have had several losses in our family over the past year. And my parents aren't getting any younger. In fact, I'm not getting any younger either. And finding someone like Alan to help us tell, capture, and preserve our stories for our children and generations after is really invaluable. In addition, our conversation about kayaking made me want to get out on my kayak even more frequently, like this weekend. And it seems like such an accessible activity. There are plenty of places to rent kayaks right there on safe, smooth, and hopefully scenic water. The funny thing is, I can tell how pa- <laughs> I can tell how passionate Alan is about kayaking, since he has contacted me three times since our conversation to tell me about things he forgot to mention. <laughs> First, he called me and he said. Hey, Mitch, I don't think I emphasize the physical and mental health benefits of kayaking enough. Then he sent me an email, and it said, Did I mention that you shouldn't go out in strong winds? 
Check for winds over 10 to 15 miles an hour and stay back on shore if the winds are forecast to hit 15 miles an hour. Then there was the text message. Did I mention how much I'm loving my new career in writing and how satisfying it is to hold the finished product of someone's life in my hands? Seriously, Alan, you're, you're really silly, but actually, this is what I love about you. And this is what I love about Alan. It's that he has found things that he's passionate about and things that are making him a better version of himself. I can say the same thing about podcasting. People don't get it, but I really love it. So with that, here's my quick wrap up. Please continue to tell your friends about Meet Mediocrity. We're clearly growing and we're gaining a following. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Go to www.meetmediocrity.com, my website, and enter your email address to receive our newsletter. And contact me through the website or at meetmediocrity at gmail.com if you're interested in winning a free Meet Mediocrity t-shirt. Join the community. It's fun. And for now, until next time, this has been Mediocre Mitch, hoping that you will stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, be positive, and live well. Take care, everybody. Bye.